You're listening to the official Ankeny Community School District podcast, We Are Ankeny, where we're sparking conversations about all things Ankeny schools. Last year, Ankeny schools graduated 915 students, 16 went into the military, 99 stepped directly into the workforce, and 773 chose a form of continued education from trade schools to community colleges and universities. When employers hire recent high school graduates and universities are interviewing applicants, some of the technical skills that are growth areas for our students are often skills like adaptability, problem solving, creativity, influence, drive, empathy, and collaboration, sometimes referred to as soft skills. Districts have expectations of traditional education and the growing need to help students navigate and manage their emotions and coping skills as they experience increased pressures for academic, athletic, or activities and social performances uh, from, uh, from their respective schools. Administrators also see the opportunity for staff professional development in this area and shining a light on reflective self-care for our staff. Ankeny, I'm excited to introduce our guest today and get into this discussion about soft skills, but then also core skills that our kids need to be successful once they leave our district. First is Kayla Bell Consolver. She is the director of the Broadlands Counseling Center located in the brand new Broadlands Community Clinic at Drake University. The center serves the community around Drake University as well as the university's students and staff. Welcome, Kayla. Hi, thank you. Thanks for being here. And to get this started, can you tell us about your background and your work at Drake? Absolutely. So my background is I actually worked with school-aged youth. Uh, I was a counselor um, on the unit, but also a therapist at Orchard Place Residential Campus, uh, which is a wonderful opportunity. Um, and I've been the director at Drake since about 2021. And so a lot of my background is really how do we transform our campus into a comprehensive college counseling center? Because I do believe all the work, mental health, the soft skills we're talking about do not happen in a one-to-one session with a therapist, but mm. community around. So I have an honor of being able to explore the barriers, uh, the constraints that make it difficult for our students to achieve the success that they would like, um, but also to achieve the well-being. So a lot of collaborations with others um, and ensuring all of our staff are trained and have the support they needed to kind of lift um, that heavy burden. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear more about your work and how we can potentially partner together to support mm-hmm. that work for our students that attend Drake uh, moving forward and just learning from you know what you're doing, the great work that you're doing um, with your students and staff um, at Drake. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Next is Sean Behrman. Sean has been with Ankeny Schools since uh, 2022, correct? Yeah. Um, so she's new to our team and is our first social emotional learning specialist. She supports our social workers, counselors, and teachers in guiding our students as they begin to understand themselves and navigate the uh, behaviors of others while trying to learn the academic skills they need to succeed in life. Um, Sean, this isn't your first experience on the podcast, so welcome back. Really glad to have you back. I'm glad I did well enough to be asked back. Absolutely, absolutely. You weren't put on that list. Um, (laughs) So uh, please let our listeners know who aren't familiar with you or your work a little about your career path and how that led you to Ankeny and you know what um, does being the social emotional learning specialist actually mean? 
You bet. I actually would just start out by saying that I'm an Ankeny graduate. Grew up in Ankeny. Go, go, go Hawks then, right? Yeah, go yeah. Hawks. Well, I like Centennial too. You like Centennial. You know, I'm not going to back <laughs> off. But no, the um, so my background being from Ankeny, and then also my two oldest daughters graduated from Ankeny, and my son was in the Ankeny schools until um, over at East until about third or fourth grade. So Ankeny has a soft spot in my heart. Mm. Um, prior to being here as the SEL specialist, I worked in the Des Moines Public Schools for 18 years, first as a therapist through Broadlands at the Focus Program, okay. um, where I did individual family and small groups uh, during the school day. And then also as a special ed social worker, I was a transition case manager at an alternative middle school program for a while. And then um, the last five years in Des Moines, I was a behavior strategist where I worked at Callanan Middle School. And we worked on these types of skills with our students and staff to build their capacity so they could have a more successful, not only academic, but a stronger sense of um, the skills that they had to be able to dream about where and what they wanted to do. Great. And then uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your role here. And, and so my role here as um, the SEL specialist is yes. I help educate um, the adults in our systems about how to build off of the five competencies of SEL, understanding their own self-awareness and self-regulation, along with social awareness and what that means for a kindergartner compared to a ninth grader. Um, how relationships are so important and healthy relationships need to be very specific so that we can make healthy decisions as a community member and as individuals. And so I do a lot of professional development with teachers, the counselors, the social workers, so that that can systemically carry into our classrooms. So thank you. Welcome back. And then on mic number four, we have um, Al Neppel, first time podcast guest. Longtime team member here in Ankeny, so really glad to have you here. Al is our Director of Professional Development and Leadership Development um, in Ankeny School. So, Al, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and then uh, background? You know, so uh, w- what led you into this role and, you know, what do you do for our kids here in Ankeny? Absolutely. I'm a bit surprised this is my first time on a podcast here. Because I am, I, too. I, I do like to hear my own voice um, as well. <laughs> That's a good no, thing. This is actually, I'm in the middle of my 17th year in Ankeny. I spent uh, 13 years in Ankeny at the building level. I was principal at Northeast Elementary. Uh, I had the opportunity to open up Rock Creek Elementary as the principal at Rock Creek before transitioning here in the fall of 2020 to this role. Um, my role as Director of Professional Learning, I'll talk about that part of my, my role first, is really helping to facilitate, organize, and sometimes lead professional learning within our district. Um, it could be with teachers, could be with principals, could be uh, with classified staff as well, too. Um, really, any of our employee groups is our ultimate goal of providing professional learning. The leadership development side of my role, too, really um, connects to all of those same employee groups again. Um, I work with admin team on their own leadership skills. I work with teacher leaders uh, in a a lot of situations trying to identify more teacher leaders, but also empower them to be uh, leaders within their buildings, leaders within their classrooms. And then lastly, through my work with our Leader in Me initiative, I really work on that leadership piece with students mm-hmm. um, and how I support our building staff as they go on their Leader in Me journey as well, too. Yeah, and so um, uh, for, the, for, for the time I've worked with Al, it's just been very clear that um, he's very passionate about Ankeny, the students here, the staff here. But more importantly, uh, over and over again in our conversations, um, he always – 
emphasizes the importance of professional learning, not only for our administrators, but then also for our teachers. And so, Al, um, to put you on the spot, so I'm not going to say not to put you on the spot, so I am putting you on the spot, but um, can you just talk about why, in your opinion, professional learning is important for our teachers in uh, what we are uh, attempting to accomplish um, here in our district connected to our mission? Wow, loaded, loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a lot of different uh, one-liners that I could even say here because uh, I actually shared this with some of our elementary math teachers on Monday. You know, my old high school coaches used to always say, you're either getting better or you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the field of education, I would say for me, in particular the last three to five to ten years, there are some significant pedagogical changes that are f- happening very fast uh, that particularly we need to support our teachers in and continue their learning in, uh, particularly in the area of literacy, but also in math, but all content areas. Um, but then also along with that, how we engage our students differently today than we even did, pr- I, I would say, pre-COVID. Um, and so that is evolving very fast as well, too. So that continuous professional learning Um, is important to me because we are a learning organization. By our sheer nature of what we do, we are a learning organization. And so it it only stands to reason that while we expect our students to be continuously learning, all of the adults within the organization have to be demonstrating that that growth mindset and that continuous learning um, mentality. Um, That's why I feel like it's so important. Uh, But most importantly, because... You know, we're just trying to stay one step ahead of our students, and our students um, are really, really, we, we are so fortunate here in Ankeny with the knowledge and, and the background that some of our students come in with, but also the life experiences that our students come with, too, that we need to be able to respond to them yeah. uh, in today's educational world. And that's really connected to your work also, Sean, where, you know, Al talked about uh, pedagogical changes over time in our field. But that's also also connected to how different generations of students change with time. And so the students, all of us were, um, however many years ago we were in elementary, middle, or high school, um, the, 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 the climate is just different. You know, the, 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 the experiences that our kids are having now in school and in college right now is just different. And so how is that, how is that professional learning um, connected to preparing our kids for those core skills that they need, um, connected to behavior, behavior, emotion, the impact of social media. You know, so you know, why is that? You know, con- how is that connected, and why is the work that you're doing really important to help um, position our, our our principals, but then also our teachers to support our kids at a higher level? Absolutely, I think a couple of key things is knowing that. In the last 10 to 15 years in the field of neurology, we've learned so much about the brain and how the brain is impacted by different things, including um, social media, including any type of computer use. At that same time, we are now in a generation where our students have parents who've never not had a phone. Right. And so even um, I was at Orbis a couple days ago and talking to kids about mental health, and I asked them, when's the first time you remember holding a cell phone and watching videos? And only one one student said, I think I was like in third grade. Everyone else was like, I've always done that. (laughs) And so just knowing that 
our kids today, how their brain is developing is different. Yeah. And so how do we respond to that as a system? Absolutely. How do we help support our parents and our students as well as our staff so that we can best create that environment for learning? And so, Kayla, I, I remember um, attending Purdue University. So plug for Big Ten. <laughs> Sorry, Big 12. Sorry for Big Ten. Uh, a plug for Big Ten. So, Kayla, I, I'm, I'm thinking about attending Purdue doing research papers and actually having to go to a physical library, mm. um, looking, going to the card catalog and pulling books from, you know, within the library and then also um, having to go to what seemed like a basement to, to get some microfiche, to look at a screen for old articles of newspapers. And so... <coughs> I absolutely know that my experience in college is probably um, considerably different from uh, the students that you're dealing with. I had a pager in college. I didn't have a cell phone. And so I don't know if some of our listeners know what pagers are, but um, what does that mean for the students that we're graduating from um, high school that are attending Mm -hmm. um, uh, universities and colleges how do you prepare for them to help them, one, one persist in that freshman year, but also uh, persist through um, graduation uh, and be successful in, 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 at the university level and college level? Absolutely. Uh, I want to hit that on like two perspectives. Um, one, all the steps that you, you took. You said I had to do this, then I had to do that, then I had to do that just in order to get some success. Um, yeah. And what you mentioned, Sean, is like you have a lot of answers at your fingertips. Mm. Um, so there's this instant gratification that I often see. If I don't have it right now, um, what does that mean? And what I'm seeing is with a lot of students is that they have an internal locus. Uh, mm. If this isn't working, I'm not smart enough, I'm not doing this correctly because you have so many comparisons that you can have. Although social media is fantastic, I can talk about the benefits. One of the cons is that you're constantly seeing someone else's life through the perspective that they want you to see. So you're seeing someone else being successful. You're seeing someone else have all the answers, but you don't know if they're using chat GPT. You don't know if they're using AI. So you feel you're inadequate. Um, And the other piece that I would hit it on is that in the college, we're seeing so many students coming into college with pre-existing mental health conditions than ever before. Students that have had ongoing therapy, psychotropic medications, even hospitalizations that are already coming into this environment. So when you add on the task of how do we help them to become successful, what if I can't do it the way other people are doing it? I don't know the steps, right? When we think about these other barriers that people might have, they attribute their lack of success to themselves. And so I think if we can help people build up this sense of one internal locus in the ways of like, I can affirm myself. If I don't know the answers, I can find the answers. I can get help or ask for it. I don't have to deal with it alone. I think we might see a lot more students coming in with more self-efficacy. Yeah. And so Kayla, you bring up a a really um, important point where, the amount of information children have at their fingertips today compared to when I was in school, in college, let alone K-12 um, school, um, it's just astounding. And so um, here in Ankeny, we pride ourselves on uh, the level of activities, athletics that we um, are able to provide for our students. And so for those students that are able to participate in athletics or activities that they they are able to build some of those soft skills that mm-hmm. we're seeing that um, our kids some of our kids are lacking or or our growth areas when they graduate from us. But what about those children that um, aren't able to 
um, participate in those activities. Um, what impact, and this is a question to Sean, um, having instant gratification um, when we have kids not involved in activities um, or athletics, or that's just not their thing, uh, they, they choose to do something else to be, to be involved in school, um, how does that impact uh, their ability to build uh, those soft skills that are needed in at the university level or in the workforce or in the, in the military? I, I think that goes along with that, that generational change we're seeing. I grew up here, sports was the name of the game. Dick Rasmussen, huge coach, every year state championships. My oldest son wasn't really a fan of sports. But I also saw him on his video games having interactions with peers online and still having to navigate with those soft skills. How do you still use those skills in collaboration? Mm -hmm. How do you still work with people that you're playing games with that might be in a different state, a different time zone, all sorts of different things? Yep. So those opportunities still exist. It's being intentional about how do we look at those skills call them out, help label them, and then intentionally build them at different times. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind if I build on that? Absolutely. Well? Absolutely. Because um, what you're speaking to is like, how do you create a culture of belonging? Mm -hmm. It's where even if I'm not the best athlete, if, and if I'm not the best, you know, in choir or even in this class, where do my skills and how do they contribute to the culture of the environment? And if mm -hmm. every student feels as though, even if I can't do that, I can do this, mm -hmm. this can help them build resiliency. This can also help them to build self-esteem and also be able to hit the goals that we're trying to see them meet in their future. Absolutely. And so in, in the culture that we're trying to build, where we have um, students that, uh, that believe um, that they are contributing to the environments that they're, that they're, that they're in, Al, um, I know that our investment in our, our teachers and, and staff and administrators is really important around how we support them and supporting our kids. And so um, how are we um, investing um, in our staff to help them understand the soft skills that our students are, are going to need and how we build that into our instructional practices and leadership practices um, across the district? I would say there's a number of ways that we're doing that in, in our efforts to support our teachers, uh, to support the whole the whole person, the whole child. Uh, part of that is the addition of Sean's role. Mm. Um, that That's one of the, the key pieces to this. Um, another one is just that the concept of on our professional learning days, whether it's Sean that's leading or facilitating or uh, working with a group of counselors, social workers, um, on a topic, or even general ed teachers, that's one avenue. Um, I would say through just our understanding within Leader and Me in our elementary classrooms up into our middle schools, as far as our implementation has gone, is just that understanding of, of and one of the core paradigms from Leader and Me is the paradigm of potential, and the mind shift there is we focused a long time exclusively on academics, and we really need to be focused on the whole person, the whole child. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, what do we have to do differently as a teacher to support those skills um, and so that our students can have that sense of belonging in a classroom or from classroom to classroom that they have? Um, I, I think we intentionally have done that with professional development days. We've intentionally done that in our annual summer academy and some of the sessions that we offer for teachers to participate in as well, too. Um, and, and honestly, some of our building leaders, instructional coaches, uh, our, our building uh, teacher leaders lead that themselves in our buildings um, 
very common to see that happening in their PD sessions. What I love about um, the, you use the term, the power of potential. And so in, in relation to leader in me. And so what, what I lo- love about those words is that um, if we approach our students from a mindset and I, I, power for pot- potential is similar to um, self-efficacy, so effective effort. And so power for potential for the adults that are working with our students to me means that when a student crosses my threshold, I see them for who they are and the potential that they have to be great in my class. And so no matter how smart they are um, or what knowledge that they're lacking, I have the ability to pour into them. And they have the they also have the ability to to um, exert the effort in order to do better in class and gain more knowledge to be effective um, in a course or an activity that they're participating in um, in our classrooms ac- across Anglican. So I, I really love um, that aspect of Leader in Me because it, it forces the adults to look at the potential in every student and not think that kids are coming to us with everything that they will ever know for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's, the, it's that belief that there's genius in everybody um, in that mindset. Um, and the adults model that first. Okay, and not having a predetermined perception of what the students capable of, and as they model that, the students start to believe in that—that that I do have genius. Okay, I might not know what it is yet. Okay, the yep. key word is yet. Right, right. And so, and so, and so, Sean, with with this idea of the power of potential and effective effort, uh, what tools um, have or will be introduced um, in our district to help our social workers, counselors, and teachers? Um, support um, our students around uh, these soft skills that are needed? When we think of the tier system and thinking of all students receiving certain skills, that's where during advisory times um, we'll move towards next year with our our schools who are in the third phase. How do we write learning targets around these soft skills so that they can see how they're applying them in the classroom and the work they're doing? When we think of those students who might fall out in tier two and have, they have skill gaps, educationally we often think of, oh, so we do extra reading, we, we find ways to tutor, we do these things. So that's where with our social workers and counselors, establishing groups that are building those skills and being intentional about how that applies into the classroom and having opportunities to practice that, that's in that component. On that tier three level, when we have students who have a, a, a larger gap of, of knowledge around their behavior skills. How do we do that in an individualized way mm-hmm. to support that growth so that they also still have an exit route and they're not stuck on a tier three forever and have support continually throughout? Yeah. Um, and, that, and those tools are just really important to um, those that are closest to our students, supporting them throughout the, the entire school year. And so, uh, Kayla, earlier I talked about Ankeny um, graduating, um, sending 773 of our most recent graduates to colleges or universities or trade schools. And so um, there's this, there's this uh, concept called summer melt. And so with summer melt, um, we have a few students that graduate that have an intention of pursuing their, their post-secondary goal, whether that be military, college, um, university, work, trade school, and then something happens during the summer where they end up not pursuing the goal that they had set when they when they were with us 
here in Ankeny. And so, you know, part of your role is how you not only support the students that are coming into the school, but then also helping them persist through their, their, their freshman year. And so can you discuss how your clinic outreach on campus addresses uh, student transition from high school to college and uh, what are the missing pieces that uh, they need uh, to be successful mm -hmm. for us to learn from? Absolutely, yeah. I want to say we actually start as early as possible. Um, so we are present at admitted student days. We are present at um, orientations. So we can get connected mm. with the students even before they come uh, because I do recognize mental health, there is a significant stigma. So just saying there's a counseling center, it's like if I don't know you, or I don't feel comfortable talking to you, why would I use you? Um, so we do a lot of work and outreach even before that process. Um, and so that's really empowering so we can tell them this is the service you know, that we offer. These are the people that you could talk to uh, lately we've been bringing our pet therapy dogs <laughs> around so that really gets them riled up oh, really? uh, yeah they enjoy that to see oh wow there are things that can help me if I were to go to this institution or when I show up because that's powerful so when yeah. they get there let's say there is a derailment that happens in the summer uh, and they come and they see us again now we can go back to that moment hey I remember you and I love doing that yeah. um, remembering talking to them it makes that connection and it connects back to oh yeah I remember there's something that can help me because truthfully it takes people at least two to three times minimal before mm. they even call and say okay I need help to talk to someone uh, so some of the outreach we do in the beginning is a lot of hands on deck so we're at different tables so that way they can see the counselors. Um, we are present. Um, so it's not about them coming to us. It's like, how do we help you? And we offer the first two weeks of classes, just open walk-in scheduling. So that way, if there's a student that's having an adjustment, which is very typical, you're in a new environment, new roommate, away from family, you can just show up. You don't have to. There's no wait time. You can come every day. You can come one yeah. or two days. Um, but we're also somewhere on campus. So we're in two spots. You can either go to the clinic to talk to us or we're going to be available on campus giving out self-care kits, giving out, you know, coping strategies and things like that. Students will come up and ask us any question from how do I you know, get support. I feel like I have OCD. I need help with that too. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had, just want to see how you're doing. Can you tell me about your services? So we do a lot of that. And then that goes very quickly into Suicide Awareness Month, which is at September. So we really try to target a lot of students on these are the warning signs so you can get support. And how do you help a friend that might be struggling? Um, yeah. And then we move into our uh, clinical services. We do support groups. We have sleep hygiene. We just started some of that workshops, bulldog recovery for substance use. Yeah. So it's really a kind of an accelerated approach, all before they even come to college. Wow, so a, a lot of resources for our, our families that have students um, that are um, planning on attending mm -hmm. Drake um, this fall, and then for our parents that may have students that are currently at Drake, um, you know, please you know, make sure that your, your, your children know about uh, this resource that Drake has. And so Kayla, um, for our parents that have students that may choose not to go to Drake and uh, another university in state or out, out of out of state, what advice can you give um, our parents um, and students about how to seek out um, similar resources at other universities around uh, smoothing their transition from high school to um, college? Absolutely. Yeah, I recommend them looking at all the student organizations because, again, that belonging piece, having a space you can go to, connection, peer support is often the highest utilized service on college campuses. Mm. And so if they can find places where they feel connected. I recommend value-wise. So if you like to do something in high school, whether it's video games or sports, even yeah. if you're not going to be a college athlete, go to intramurals. Go find the clubs because that's going to help you connect to the pieces that you already had within you. Um, always look at the health and wellness services. So many colleges have them for free and available to students. 
that they can use, whether that's the counseling center, whether that's uh, academic support, support groups, trainings, just look and see what is all available. And I actually recommend they look at that before they even decide to go to that college. Um, We're seeing a lot more students looking at institutions, not because of the title, but because they're concerned about how will I be taken care of. Um, to see what's available, you know, see if you yeah. can even ask about the wait times, you know, go to the admitted student days to really ask those questions because um, that's going to really impact, you know, your mental health. Yeah. So our, our families shouldn't wait to the first the, that first week, the move in week to do all that stuff. No. We, we should be doing that work over the summer. Actually, now, mm-hmm. uh, if we know if we've gotten acceptance letters and we and we know what university or college that we're going to, we should be putting that work in now, figuring out how we're going to get our, our child connected to mm-hmm. some organization or some group um, at the university level just to keep them engaged, correct? Correct, yes, because data's coming out that mental health is the number two uh, impact for retention. Mm. And so it's no longer just, oh, that's an aside. It's no, it can really impact whether you feel as though you can continue when you're having adversity in college. Yeah. And so, Sean, um, Kayla mentioned mental health. And so um, in different circles, uh, when people mention mental health, they think we think different things based off of who we are, you know, what group we're in. And so when we think about mental health in the K-12, pre-K-12 space, you know, you know what are we actually talking about and, and how are we attempting to make a difference um, with regards to mental health um, here in Ankeny? I think the, the starting point is for everyone to understand everyone has mental health. Mm-hmm. And so that pre-care that, that you were talking about is so important. How do we start good sleep habits good eating habits, exercise, um, all those things, water, <laughs> some of the basics. How do we do that to help build that, that resiliency so that when if you have a situation or um, there's a change in health that impacts or the family system shifts and changes or, you know, something happens at school and your teacher's gone for an extended time, that, that, that anchor shifts how do our kids know how to support themselves, how to ask for help, mm. um, and so that we can as adults support not only our students but our families. Our families are a key partner in our education system. Right. And so that's where the, one of the gifts in Ankeny is having a full-time MSW within each building, having counselors who have that opportunity to work with not only students but to support families for their well-being is also. Mm-hmm. And so Al, uh, Sean talked about students really you know in mental health but you know we're also learning that uh, mental health of our staff is equally important and so you know what's some of the work that you've done with um, our administrators and our, our teachers around uh, uh, mental health um, and keeping that to the forefront to, to make sure that we're taking care of one another yeah my first thought goes back to even just back to the beginning of our school year when we took our entire um, certified staff all teachers administrators uh, for their one-day educator wellness session. And while it was one day, what, what my hope was is that our teachers would walk away with a little bit of understanding of the four dimensions from that learning, the physical, the mental, the social-emotional, and how the little things they can do uh, to become aware, but also um, normalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that... Um, so that is not a stigma. Yeah. My hope is that our, our teachers were able to walk away um, thinking, you know what, it's okay that I, I know that I need to work on these things, and maybe I can be a little bit more vulnerable and model as an adult within my classrooms my vulnerability, whether it's my physical needs, my mental or my social-emotional, what I'm going through right now, in, in a way that helps our students see that they can be vulnerable about this too. They can seek out 
help, um, yeah. and they're not re- reluctant to do that. Yeah. Do you mind if I speak? No, to that I, I was just about to uh, turn into oh. you, Kayla. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, I was like, I love that you're saying that because I see so many students that feel like their professors just don't get it or don't understand. Um, and I wonder how often professionals are given permission to say, I don't have it together today, or I'm struggling with this as well, or taking, you know, self care days and things like that. Um, there's power in modeling the things that you want to see. And it also helps probably to have more compassion if you have a student that's struggling because you have been in touch with yourself. Absolutely. And I know that shows up in Sean's work when she's out in our buildings as well, too, mm-hmm. because um, not to take a, not to share another thing from leader me, but change starts with me. Mm-hmm. Right. OK, the change has to happen within all of us first so that we can impact those around us. And then, uh, Kayla, at the at the university level, um, uh, not that it, it looks different at the K-12 in the K-12 space, but um, because our students are essentially on their own. Mm-hmm. Mental health, I would imagine, takes on a different dimension because you have the potential of being isolated, um, not connected to a group. And so, you know, what are you seeing? What What are some coping mechanisms that um, our, our students uh, should consider and that our, our, our parents should consider um, talking to their children about? Um, and how do we support that at the university level? Absolutely, yeah. Um, To speak to the challenge of it is when they go to college, they're adults. If they're over the age of 18, it's no longer, let me get this referral. If they choose not to go, there's really nothing you can do about making them seek out this service. Mm -hmm. So the coping matters. Just like Sean mentioned, the foundation of just taking care of yourself, your basic needs, water. We have a Starbucks on campus, which makes it challenging. (laughs) So I know other colleges (laughs) like, yes, Starbucks is great. And water can be very helpful for you. Uh, Balanced exercise. It doesn't have to be going to the gym, but can you move your body um, while you do the things. If you're studying, just get up, give yourself a break. I think a break is something that is so crucial that I don't see a lot of college students and I don't think that's, you know, unique to Drake. Um, They will study for six hours straight and ignore their needs to even eat or use the bathroom or get up. Um, They ingrain in themselves education matters more than anything. Mm. So if there are coping strategies like, hey, can you just pause? Like, what are your warning signs that your body's communicating? I need a little something, even a brain break, um, water, other pieces of like, what are the ways that you like to stay engaged? What are the activities that you enjoy? Um, College is so much about doing activities you're forced to do because you have this great little dangling, shiny thing at the end of like graduation. But Really, like, what are activities? And see if they can write it down. So that way, if they're ever feeling overwhelmed, drained, can you go back and connect back to some of those things? Because majority of the students that I see, when they're feeling low motivation, they're feeling even depressed, low self-esteem, it's often they've gotten away from the foundation of things that brought them life and brought them purpose. So if they have that before they get to college, it's going to be much easier to reconnect when needed, or it's going to be easier for us to even help them to reconnect when they feel lost. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And so earlier, I talked about some of the, the those soft skills that are that have been identified as growth areas for students transitioning into to different areas of post secondary work, um, uh, such as adaptability, problem solving, creativity, influence, drive, uh, empathy, collaboration, and um, and so when when we think about um, public schools and how we're incorporating our ability to not only troubleshoot um, those growth areas, but you know, how are we uh, uh, putting our, our students in a, in a position to, to work in teams, uh, incorporate empathy, um, and put a plan together um, based off of tasks that are assigned um, in, in, in their classrooms from pre-K through 
as they get more, um, not complicated, but as they grow and more age appropriate by the time they get to high school. And so, Al, I'm going to start with you. Um, How do you see the issue of using um, these soft skills manifest themselves in um, our um, uh, different environments uh, here in Ankeny? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would I would like to say here is I, I think we need to honor acknowledge that some of our teachers have not naturally worked on these things within their classrooms forever. Okay, what we're looking for is is a more systemic effort, and and initially for us here in Ankeny Schools. I would say that some of this work specifically on soft skills might feel like what I would call direct lessons. We're going to take specific time today and we're going to work on this concept of collaboration, mm. right? Um, ultimately, what we're hoping for is that that just is becomes just part of what we do across our day, that we naturally work on these soft skills. And one of the ways that I see that unfolding for us as a district as part of our strategic plan is our implementation of project-based learning. Mm. Um, and so by the time our, our strategic plan sunsets, um, in every classroom, our teachers will have implemented a project-based learning unit project. Um, and through that project-based learning, that's when we're really working on all those soft skills right. that you mentioned. In addition, depending on which list of soft skills you want to talk about, that idea of, of taking whatever content that we typically teach but presented in a project-based learning approach allows our students to work on some of those soft skills a little bit more, the adaptability, the flexibility, collaboration, communicating well um, in that group work that you might be working on. So that's an ultimate goal so that it doesn't feel like a, a standalone event, that it's integrated across the school day. And Sean, um, I mentioned empathy. And so can you tell our audience, one, why is empathy important for um, young people, um, young adults, uh, as they transition out of um, high school and uh, potentially into the university level or whatever workspace that they may choose? Why is it important? And you know, what are we doing to help uh, the adults that are working with our kids understand how to, how to develop that, that part of um, their, their skill? I think empathy is one of those underrated skills. And it's also sometimes believed that it's not a skill that you can learn. And really, you can build the capacity of empathy. And part of that is when Caleb talks about sense of belonging. When we know one another, it's harder not to care about one another. When you know one another and you learn about each other, you find commonalities. You find opportunities to grow and be a part of things. And so empathy is played out in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. I think of even we've all been at a a convenience store, at a grocery store, and we see someone go through the line and they might not treat the the person at the cash register in a caring way. Well, if I'm the next person up, I want to make sure I affirm this person who's providing a service that I need. And I want, Mm. it's a valued service. Right. And so when we think of empathy, it's the way we relate with one another, with people we know and with people we don't know yet. Mm. And so that skill and that understanding is such an important component to humanity. And so, Kayla, at the, at the university level, um, I don't think that you're teaching any courses. Um, pers- not are, yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> and so um, are you able to speak to um, how are, what are the, what are the expectations in the class, in the classroom at the university level around students being able to um, work in teams, um, mm-hmm. work 
um, in with partners, um, be adaptable, um, deal with change. You know, how does that manifest itself at the university level? Yeah, it's actually pretty common. Um, although students don't like it, group projects. <laughs> that is something that happens quite frequently. Um, even at my time when I remember, uh, just almost every class or at least every other class had some component of being able to work together with someone. It's not just only lecture. You have some of those, which are, you know, um, your gen eds, the early right. classes. But when you start to get more into a major or more into a focus, there is a lot more. Let's work together on this. Um, but also there's a lot of opportunities to talk with your professors. Like they have their office hours. So if you're ever struggling, it's like, hey, come and talk with me so I can get some of that support. Um, and then the students um, uh, develop more in the programs. They have internships and things that they're expected to do yeah. to go out into the communities. And so at, at, the, at the university level, how does um, students um, lacking certain soft skills present itself at, at your level? Mm. Yes. Um, when we see less, when we think about like empathy, and I'm careful how I word this, um, there's a lot less care in individuality. Um, and I see a lot, I would say, on the individuality piece. Uh, and we add in this, you know, that's where the comparison trap comes in. It's like, how do I make myself better than other people? Right. Um, how do I try to see myself in a certain light to, you know, those that we perceive to be an authority? Uh, if someone's struggling, let's say in a group, it's less of, hey, let's check in. What kind of support do you need? And it's more of you're not helping. So let's move uh, along without you. Uh, and so a lot of people might be more left behind mm. as well. And also difficulty adapting to stress. I mean, college in itself is a um, I always say it's like a compression space for stress, adversity. It's just difficult. Um, and if you don't have soft skills, you don't know how to navigate through the things mm. that are difficult. And you lean on those hard skills. It's great if you know what to do, right, you right. know the information, but when you're struggling and you can't, you feel really stuck. Just asking for help sometimes, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've found, not, not only in, in this K pre-K-12 space where I, I see students um, not being able to ask for help as a barrier, but I, I would just imagine if we don't develop that that ability now, it it just compounds itself once they get to college mm -hmm. or the university level. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Going back to something you mentioned even earlier, you didn't use this word, but hope, right? Um, and creating that experience of hope. It's like, I might know how to ask for help. I know all the research. And we see this across every college with mental health. They know what to do, where to get it, how to get the help but I don't believe the help can help me. Mm. Um, and when people get to that space where they feel so fundamentally broken, that's where I see a lot of, you know, the lack of the uh, soft skills. And so, go, go ahead, Sean. If I could, let's just, let's take that concept of asking for help and break that into a skill. Mm. First, I have to identify what I need help with. Mm -hmm. Next, I have to identify who can I ask or who can help me get what I need. Or and who then, do I think will help me? Right. Or trust. <laughs> Trust in them. Right, right, right. And then how do I approach them? Mm -hmm. And that when we talk about skills, that's even when I think of a kindergartner who's coming in, they're learning how to do school, right? That we, we need to spend that time on teaching what does listening look like? What are the steps to listening and practicing? How do I ask for help? Breaking it down in those pieces, our brains go so quickly that we don't realize we do it, and so we just assume everyone else knows how to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yet with math and reading. Such as walking in a line. Walking in a line, <laughs> right. 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 
math and reading, we are very intentional as a system. Here's how we break this down. Here's mm -hmm. how we scaffold. That's what we're starting to do here around skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so th this, this is going to be uh, my, my last topic. And so we, we've talked a lot about soft skills. And uh, in, in our district, two years ago, we, we uh, adopted a graduate profile. Mm -hmm. And in our graduate profile, um, we have specific characteristics um, we'd like our students to have by the time they graduate. But we fully acknowledge that um, it's, it's, the reality is that our students um, won't have all of those characteristics, characteristics fully developed, but they're working towards getting them developed. And so this comes to the question around age appropriateness around different soft skills. And I want to start with you, Al. And so uh, can we talk about, can you, can you share with our listeners um, what our approach is around, you know, how do we, I think, I think that um, Sean talked about scaffolding. So how do we build skill that leads to that graduate profile? Because is, the graduate profile is integrated from pre-K through 12th grade. Yep. And we, I think our belief is that we're building towards the development of all of those characteristics, but understanding that they won't be fully developed at each grade level as the kid matriculates through our, our system. And so how do we approach understanding um, with the characteristics that are identified in the, in the profile, the age appropriateness from pre-K through 12th grade? Yeah, I think a lot of that um, we rely, or not, I shouldn't say this. A lot of it, we, we rely on the classroom teacher to understand the, the, you know, the age appropriateness. But when I think about the graduate profile and the six areas that we have on there, I, I can't help but in my mind, because I live in this world a lot, think about the seven habits of highly affected people. So is it possible for us to talk to a group of kindergartners at morning meeting about being proactive? Mm. Absolutely. Right. Um, and I think, honestly, our kindergarten age students, our five- and six-year-olds, can access the principles and concepts behind those seven habits at a very young age. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, when I think about the, that continuum, I think it's continuing to put um, scenarios in place for students to think about what they would do in some of those situations. How am I going to demonstrate having an end in mind going into this situation? How am I going to practice putting first things first? And so we, we do, in essence, have a curriculum for that as well, too, um, that our teachers use within our, our elementary schools all the way up through lessons in our middle schools. Um, about And they all linked. I could take any of the six areas from the graduate profile um, and link them to the five castle, the five essential social-emotional areas as well, too. Um, and so I, I feel like we have a curriculum in place for that, um, that our teachers are using their best judgment with, but also um, some of it's in place for them to use. And, Sean, how, how does that – how is the graduate profile represented in the, the work that you're doing um, um, with, our, with our schools? When we think about the, the five components of, of SEL – and how those components support all of these habits, the profile, then breaking it down developmentally. When we think about self-awareness, so if we want to be an authentic individual, being aware of who we are and how we experience things is important. For a K-2 student, we'd really want to just be looking at how do you identify and name basic emotions, and also how or where do you feel that maybe in your body, mm -hmm. the sensation, the clue that your body is giving to you. 
Or then when we get up to the 9-12 grade, we want them not only be able to identify it, know the clue that their body has given them to that, that emotion, but be able to even predict, oh, when I get into this type of situation, sometimes this is the emotion that happens, and I want to manage that somehow. I, I, maybe I, maybe I'm a, I like the excitement and joy that it brings me, so I, I get more excited about it. But if it causes me stress, mm-hmm. how do I plan for that situation? How do I plan to manage that stress so I can still be my best self and be my authentic self so I can access those skills of planning with the end in mind or being able to be aware of what my circle of control is? And then, Kayla, I'm thinking about, again, my my time at Purdue, again, another Big Ten plug. Um, My time at Purdue, um, I, I wasn't aware of any type of student profile or expectations for soft skills to be developed. I was just focused on getting, getting my degree. And so at, at, um, at, at Drake, you know, are there any expectations with regards to um, what the university expects or, or how the university expects um, their students to, to, to improve, build um, soft skills uh, from their freshman year to graduation? Yes, we do. We actually have something called the True Blue Skills, and it's available on our website. Um, And that's actually stuff that when we have programming, we do data to ensure that we're aligning with those. But there's things like personal responsibility, Mm. um, even ensuring that you are, you know, an active role in our community. Uh, Things like growth mindset, collaborations on there, communication, the ability to not only communicate from yourself, but can you receive communication from others? Mm. I think it's about 10 or 11. The number may be inaccurate, but there's a lot of different skills that we assess for our students to see, you know, how are they developing? And that starts from their first year. There's a program, there's classes that teach that all the way up through graduation. That kind of makes me feel really good because it it almost validates the work that we're doing in K-12, knowing that um, at the university level, at least at Drake, you're extending the work that we, we we've started um, with with our students um, the 13 years that they're that they're with us and so I, I want to thank Kayla Al and Sean for joining me and then I also want to thank you our listeners for joining us today uh, sometimes we think education is meeting and exceeding s- s- state standards here at Ankeny schools it's uh, a priority a priority to incorporate the ability to approach complex problems, adapt to change, and work in teams from pre-K to high school and set our students on, on a successful path. Thank you for joining us and tune in again. We are Ankeny. Thank you for listening to the We Are Ankeny podcast, the official podcast of Ankeny Community Schools.